0: Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Alex Bonds, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Nico from Foundation Capital. Um, Nico, how are you? Hey, Alex. Uh, Good. Good to be on here, and and thanks for having me. Yeah, not at all. No, thanks for putting up with us because we've bothered you about three times in the last month, actually, (laughs) Um, uh, after we met at the um, ITC LATAM conference. So, um, look, uh, as is traditional with the podcast, uh, as, as as part of our warm welcome, we always want to throw it over to yourselves to sort of just give us an overview of your journey to the world of InsurTech and then, of course, um, Foundation Capital and what it is exactly you guys are interested in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well thanks again for for having me. And yeah, it feels a little bit of uh, Groundhog Day here <laughs> with uh, this recording a couple of times. But uh, no, it's it's great to be on and, and, and excited, uh, kind of very... A top of mind for us a lot of these themes i think within insurtech right now and so happy to happy to share um, my my quick background, you know, I'm from uh from South America, actually originally from a country called Uruguay, uh, stereotypically sort of uh football obsessed and, and all that fun stuff. So I'm sure we can have some stuff to talk about there. Um, you know, I grew up most of my life up here in the in the New York area where I'm, where I'm based today. Uh spent four years out in, in Palo Alto, where I actually started my career here at Foundation uh, back in uh summer of 2017 uh while I was at Stanford. They were kind enough to take me on for the summer. Uh, and and really, uh, I, I normally don't go into kind of uh, too much detail, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll sort of tell on myself now that you know, foundation took me on as a total charity case <laughs> back then. I, I really you know didn't know anything about anything, but I uh, kind of just thought venture would be cool and kind of uh, wanted to throw myself into the Silicon Valley. Uh, uh, Kind of culture uh, having you know spending some time out there coming from new york and so uh that really was the the start of my uh really kind of obsession with with fintech and insurtech uh because you know as fate would have it they kind of happened to put me on uh with the partner that had capacity to sort of babysit somebody that summer uh was uh, uh Rodolfo gonzalez who's now led a lot of our insure tech investing actually over the last uh you know six years since then and so i'm kind of eternally grateful to them um, you know, I ended up kind of coming back to New York after that summer, uh, I spent some time in, in investment banking. I was on the, uh, uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch's Latin American, uh, MNA team. Uh, I spent some time in, in corporate venture capital, kind of with a little bit of a more strategic hat. I also spent a summer at, at City Ventures here in New York, uh, with Luis Valdich, who's still running that team. Uh, and, and, uh, ultimately got the opportunity to, uh, kind of continue my passion in FinTech, um, by spending a couple of years at uh, one of the big growth equity firms, General Atlantic, uh, specifically kind of on their financial services and fintech team. And that was uh, 2020 to 2022. And so it was, uh in, in uh, a lot of ways, sort of the the time to be doing kind of series, you know, BCD, uh, fintech investing uh, uh, certainly felt like drinking from a fire hose and, and was uh, quite overwhelming at times, obviously the the kind of FOMO I think that we all lived, but uh, really excited uh, to, to spend a lot of time in InsureTech over there as well. Uh, I uh, participated in the team that uh, did our coalition investment in the cyber insurance space while I was there and so happy to talk about that as well. Um, and then ultimately about a year and a half ago, I got a call from the, the old guys at Foundation uh, to see if I wouldn't consider uh, coming back to Foundation and specifically to, to help uh, kind of uh, start our New York office over here. And so uh, we've had a, a general partner named Angus Davis, who is a sort of East Coast based and spends roughly half his time here in New York. Uh, I was very fortunate to be the, the first kind of full time partner here in, in the New York team. Uh, you know, fast, for, fast forward to today, uh, I guess, 14 months later, we're up to three folks uh, full time now, plus that sort of a GP. And so kind of pushing for uh, about to move into our office down in, in the Soho neighborhood here in New York. And so Uh, uh, Sort of excited that kind of things have been moving in the right direction there, uh, and 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 very excited to have done the boomerang and come back to Foundation kind of six years later. So uh, feel feel very fortunate that kind of a lot of uh, a lot of dominoes fell my way. Um, And then you know Foundation itself uh, we're a nearly thirty year old venture firm. So founded back in the nineties, nineteen ninety five I believe. Um, Always focused on on kind of early stage investing. And so what we like to tell our LPs and, and and sort of other folks in the ecosystem is that. You know, there, there are certainly uh, uh, relatively few brands that are kind of that 25 plus year kind of history. Um, there are sort of even fewer among that set that have uh, what I like to call kind of stayed in their lane, you know, and so uh, lots of folks have kind of gone on this natural progression of, you know, uh, wanting to grow the AUM grow the management fees. And what that inevitably leads to is becoming sort of multi-product, multi-stage, multi-strategy. Uh, there's only so much money you can throw at, at seed, for example. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the sort of uh, uh, predecessors of ours at the Foundation have have really done a, a, an excellent job of sort of staying us, keeping us focused on that sort of early stage investing, which is what we do well. And, 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 and uh, it's really the only thing we do. And so... These days, we're, we're kind of very solidly seed investors. We talk about being high conviction, high ownership, high touch investors. And so it's a little bit of a kind of old school investing strategy that also comes from being nearly 30 years old, which is, you know, no spray and pray. We don't have kind of two, three, 400 portfolio companies. Um, you know, we really try to intentionally concentrate the portfolio. And so in a practical sense, that actually means that we're limiting ourselves as partners in terms of how many deals we do in a given year, how many boards we can sit on in a given time, for example, uh, so that we can really deliver on what we're functionally, you know, all selling beyond just the capital, which is commodity. uh, And that's to be very active, involved and engaged investors. Um, And so you know, in practical terms, uh, we're typically leading investments, kind of looking for 15% plus ownership uh, for a kind of sub $5 million investment. And so really anywhere from the kind of pre-seed to a sort of series A-ish, you know, in this environment is, is fair game. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're sort of roughly split kind of 50-50 today in terms of our team. Uh, we're about 16 investors. Uh, half of the, the fund and sort of half the team is dedicated to our enterprise uh, strategy. And that's anything kind of B2B uh, typically concentrated out in, in the Bay area, although with some flexibility, um, and, uh, on my side of the world and, and on my team, uh, the, the sort of FinTech, prop PropTech, and kind of crypto team, uh, is the other half of the fund and, uh, very broad focus there. Obviously kind of InsureTech is, it has been a big focus for us historically, uh, a big focus of my time as well. Um, you know, and, and, uh, one of the kind of cool things about foundation is that we're all investing under the same fund and, 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 uh, you know, it's actually, uh, uh, What's the word uh, feature not a bug right where we're able to invest, uh, you know, kind of drawing on the resources and on the expertise from for example our enterprise team for and I'm sure we'll get some of the companies but uh, you know, things like uh, enterprise sort of software for large carriers, uh, you know, for fraud detection and kind of claims resolution, that's a great opportunity for us to bring a kind of one plus one equals three approach and, and sort of leverage different parts of the firm. So uh, we are intentionally not a sort of pure fintech fund or a pure insured tech fund. And we get that question a lot from founders. Shouldn't I take money from a you know pure insured tech fund or whatever it is? And, you know, for us, it's actually uh, uh, the, the whole point is that we're not just that. And we can sort of bring the, the expertise from you know, not just kind of 30 years, but kind of a very broad uh, uh, kind of subset of the world. So, you know, in terms of the kind of nitty gritty today, typically investing two to six million dollars as a first check anywhere kind of one to 10 is is, is sort of fair game for us Um, and a really significant reserve strategy. So we're on our fund 10 right now. Uh, that is a five hundred million dollar fund just dedicated to seed, and we'll probably only make you know fifty five to sixty investments out of that one. And so uh, it's it's a quite a concentrated uh, portfolio and, and a significant reserve strategy. We also have a, a kind of dedicated follow on fund exclusively for portfolio companies called our leadership fund, uh, and and we're able to sort of double and triple down there, you know, after the reserves are exhausted. So we're kind of with companies uh, to and through IPO is
0: what we like to say. Nice, thank you so much for that. And um, I think it's fascinating to talk about funders but a bit you know been, firms been going that that many times and I, I was reading the statistics the other day and i wish i had in front of me it was just like the number of firms that actually make it past their first fund and into their second and then the amount of i was like it was like it's like watching the history of a really good good band and they have the great first album it's like the <laughs> second album it's like the, there aren't many oasis or blurs in the world or, or foo fires pick pick your long-standing bands and there, there's a reason because right. Um, and it's not the worst of allergy either, because I think sort of getting creative with your strategies and, and and relationships and, you know, it is much more challenging, but particularly staying in your lane. Um, yeah. And I think that broad lens is important now as well, because I think when we started talking about insure tech internally in our business, we started talking about it in a very narrow lens, which was, you know, digital insurance or neo insurers or whatever you want to call them, digital first uh, insurance plays or offer insurance products and B2B SaaS businesses that serve the industry. Now I'm not sure that's enough because now our clients might be cybersecurity businesses that want to sell into the insurance industry, they might be climate businesses that are of value to, to the insurance industry. And it's like, well, they're not by definition in insure techs, but but it's important that we're aware of them. And you know, companies like Sonar do a great job of kind of collating all that information, but but having that broad lens means you're more helpful in in my world. But I imagine from your perspective as well, being a truly strategic investor your investments want to know that you have that lens to view them through and not just this you know one one box fits all uh in the insurance space um i'm Absolutely. aware that wasn't a, that wasn't a question it was just a statement
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah although it's a good point you know on, on cyber security that's another sort of a, a kind of a, a great example of, of that collaboration you know on, on our uh, uh sort of enterprise team we've got you know really 10 15 plus year uh, uh, sort of deep cybersecurity uh, I- experts on the investment team. And so, you know, folks like Sid Trevetti, who's speaking at, you know, RSA, uh, you know, even just a few weeks ago, and, uh, you know, he brings the kind of wealth of experience on cybersecurity, you know, we're able to bring this sort of insurance perspective. And, you know, hopefully, it's that kind of one plus one equals three uh, situation. But, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's lots of sort of areas like that, I think, uh, in and around, you know, for example, I'm sure we'll talk about, we've done quite a bit of uh, investing in crypto insurance as, as a sort of category, you know, traditional uh, MGAs that are kind of, you know, have the sort of unchain, on-chain underwriting chops to be able to uh, analyze the risk, but that also kind of have the insurance expertise to be able to talk to reinsurers and capacity providers. And that's a great opportunity for us to collaborate with our kind of dedicated crypto team as well that are, you know, true, true DJ Right and and sort of they're really deep in in in, in you know the, these new projects and and kind of the cutting edge of the blockchain and um, you know we're kind of bringing a lot of that insurance perspective as well so it's a great point. Mm.
0: Uh, I want to talk about a right you wrote recently and um you know we pushed this back because these are coming out and that we're going to share these articles with um. With, with anyone that wants to see them we'll attach them to the podcast and we'll send them out to to people that are listeners because they were really really interesting well thought out and put together pieces and and look this is always going to resonate with both of us because it's the title was or certainly one of them why the insurance industry desperately needs startups um and, and one I, I think i wanted to start with you know i was going to say what why why overarchingly why why do they need them like what conclusions did you draw about the industry um but the other thing is you know I think leaping ahead it won't surprise anyone to say that my summation was that the industry has been painfully slow to embrace technology and kind of unpick why that is so yeah I just wanted to dive into what what your big takeaways from 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 that piece of work you did
1: yeah, it's, um, you know, and, and happy to kind of, you know, have have people read that as well as part of this, you know, the the, the sort of, uh, the piece was titled The Emperor Has No Tech, which was a, a great turn of phrase from uh, my, my general partner, Charles Moldau, who kind of co-wrote the piece with me, uh, you know, this idea of kind of the emperor has no clothes, right, where, you know, everybody kind of sees the emperor naked, but nobody wants to say anything because everybody assumes that kind of the other people see the clothes and you don't want to be the odd man out kind of not seeing the clothes. And so it's, it's the same idea, right? Sort of, you know, lots of carriers, uh, you know, many of whom are, are LPs. So obviously we, we sort of love working with them and, and, and you know, really respect the, the carriers in the ecosystem. Um, but in contrast to something like traditional financial services, uh, they, they have sort of significantly underinvested in their and d really going back sort of a decade plus. And so you know the the sort of fun fact kind of quote that I think we had in the in the piece was, you know somebody like State Farm, which is the largest carrier by premium here in the United States, uh, has something like sixty thousand employees uh, across their organization, uh, full-time employees, not agents and things like that. Um, you know, the the sort of largest bank in the United States, JP Morgan Chase, uh, has, I'm sure, kind of in excess you know of, of, of kind of hundred or two hundred thousand employees they have 55,000 technologists just in their sort of technology org and so that's data scientists and engineers ml and things like that that was also you know i think they were recognized recently in uh, evidence uh, kind of ai index of financial institutions they were sort of 50% ahead uh, of the kind of next closest competitor which i believe was rbc and so um you know when when j p morgan chase has the same amount of People in their technology org, as State Farm has in the entire org up and down, you know, it's no surprise that there's going to be a pretty big gap in terms of their techno technological capabilities, and you know, b- between us, it's not like J.P. Morgan is is sort of really cutting edge stuff either, right? So imagine kind of where some of these carriers are. You know, the the other kind of fun fact was. sort of a European Union, what they call their sort of world 2,500 R&D companies, where they come out with that. I think every year they analyze sort of, uh, uh, you know, the the largest kind of spenders by R&D in the private sector in the world. And of those top 2,500, uh, you know, insurance, uh, 2020 was the last year that we had the data for this. Uh, Only nine out of 2,500 uh, uh, of the top R&D spenders were insurance carriers. And that's, you know, six were in non-life and three were in life. Uh, you know, financial services accounts for something like 40 to 50. So it's also not, you know, a ton. And, and obviously, the vast majority of the rest is things like, you know, uh, uh, technology companies. And so, you know, it, it's a kind of structural uh, underinvestment, I think, over, over years, right? And, you know, you, you sort of, we, we didn't kind of put too much of the data in the article, but, you know, if you go to the sort of sources that are linked there, it's interesting that, you know, it's obviously quite cyclical, you know, versus a, a technology company that's kind of constantly investing in RD over time, uh, you know, in, in periods like 2008 and, and, and kind of the sort of three to four or five years in the aftermath, the r and d spending as a percentage of revenue dipped kind of dramatically. And so I think they're still kind of playing catch up and they're perpetually sort of a, a few years behind the, the eight ball if that makes sense. And so the idea is you know that that's kind of been a structural sort of trend over the last you know decade plus. Um, you know, we're now kind of you know running head on into this kind of freight train of of AI and generative AI, and you know I'm sure kind of unless people have been living under a rock, you know things like GPT four and and you know uh, kind of audio uh, sort of voice based AI, text based AI, image based AI uh, is I mean it's 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 sort of going to impact every single piece of, of of the sort of world of our society of our economy, but it's, it's sort of not hard to immediately just off the top of your head think of all the ways that it's going to impact something like insurance, right? And so uh, the, the way we sort of kind of broke down the, the business of insurance, if you will, is this idea that you know, you've got the, the sort of three pillars of, of, you know, oversimplifying insurance, let's say you've got, uh, uh, you know, distribution, which is could be captive, could be channel, could be, you know, online digital distribution, like we've seen with a lot of these folks. There's the sort of risk assessment piece, which is the actual meat and potatoes, right? Hey, get an actuary to look at this thing, or get an AI to look at this thing, or whatever it is, and figure out like, what is Alex's risk? And, and what is the appropriate premium for that? Obviously, no bad risk, only bad premium. Uh, and then the sort of everything that comes post-sale, which is, the, the servicing, the customer service, the, the, the claims uh, automation or resolution, fraud detection, and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, the insurance industry's solution to each one of those three pillars historically has been people, right? Just throwing mass quantities of people at, at every one of those. And so obviously, you've got the whole world of agents and brokers, which we can talk about in a little bit. Uh, you've got sort of actual you know, actuaries, no pun intended, looking at you know tables and 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 you know figuring out the risk for a certain thing, or or oftentimes kind of with, with some light AI assistance. Uh, and then you've obviously got you know the massive call centers of folks and the sort of claims agents and 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 people kind of again de- devoting head count to these problems. And there's sort of some things you can do, and, and we've seen that obviously the sort of offshoring you know, hey, you've got a call center in the Philippines instead of in Arizona, and so that will dramatically kind of reduce your costs, but. It's only to a point. Uh, I think the sort of next big step function is going to be in AI. And again, it's not hard to see sort of how AI is going to impact each one of those. You know, we think a lot about in in the financial services practice more broadly about, you know, hey, is is AI, is this fundamentally a sort of revenue driver for financial services, including insurance, or is it a cost reducer? And, you know, the the sort of cop-out answer is both, uh, but, but the question is sort of to what extent. Then there's the sort of whole other kind of layer of complexity, which is how are, you know, uh, uh, let's say the bad guys in some way going to leverage a lot of this AI? And so it's not hard to you know, think about things like fraud, uh, you know, uh, uh, hey, uh, you know, uh, a mid journey, right? Give me a picture of a totaled, uh, you know, uh, Nissan Altima 2022 in gray and make the license plate be my license plate boom, done, right? And like, send that to Geico. And, and and who knows if that works today or not. But certainly kind of that stuff will get more, uh, uh, more sophisticated. And, and, you know, I mean, forget even the point where, you know, we can already probably just using the audio from this podcast, train sort of an AI on both of our voices independently. And, you know, functionally recreate this podcast with the AI or just have the AI call your bank account, pretend to be Alex Bond and, and you know, call your insurance company and say, hey, actually that that claims check, uh, I need you to send it to a different
0: address, please, because I just moved and you know, I'm Alex Bond, right? And so because there's, there's we, a whole host. We already have that software in-house here. So, uh, if, if I, may... <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I knew this offer was too good to come on the podcast here. You guys were trying to trying to clone me.
0: I'm trying to i'm trying to steal from you no i bet the scary thing is so free for about a year and a half week we actually we don't use it anymore but we had this uh it was a transcript piece of software and if we wanted to change something as long as we had over 10 minutes of, of a person speaking you could change the transcript so you could wow. type it out and then as you played the recording it would it would re- recreate that that word that you've written down and you're thinking That's been around for a while. Like it wasn't new when we got it. So we like, and that's that's it not correcting on its own. That's it not not thinking on its own. That was me manually going in and doing it. But absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the the that that element is uh is the worrying thing. But one thing I wanted to kind of um sorry interrupt and ask you. I think I think one thing that you and I bonded on a conversation around, and 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 I can't remember who. think it was brian that uh, brian falchuk that brought this up one of the challenges and that we we forgot about when investing in insurance is the best case scenario in insurance is premium less costs with and that's assuming there's no claims right and that's the best you can ever happen so culturally is that the sort of thing that plays against people investing in r&d because one of the things that i'm struck by with the insurance industry is that all these new entrants come in and whilst there are growing markets of insurance. And of course, more people globally are buying insurance. Most of the time, we're competing over quite established insurance markets with fairly established penetration rates. So all that happens is we shift money from company A to company B without growing the insurance pie, unless we invest in R&D. And R&D is still seen as like a cost function. When we see these innovation teams, we see them as a cost and no one wants to put that much money in it, or or that much power or responsibility in it. Um, whereas with the true R and D, you can get investment opportunities, you can grow that pie using that kind of pie analogy. Um, do you think culturally there's 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 just that reticence within the industry, and, and do you see that anecdotally changing at all?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great point. You know, I I think that that reticence is is absolutely correct. Uh, you know, there, there's sort of a lot of factors at play here. One is is sort of that. Idea of you know, hey, uh, uh, you know, anything that I spend into R and D is in is in some way sort of taking you know, uh, sort of food off, off the table, kind of slicing yeah, no, of the pie. Of T- today, obviously, hopefully for for uh, increasing the pie in the future, and so you know, the the sort of mindset of some carriers is is kind of hard to wrap their heads around that. You know, that that's really why I think the kind of main conjecture of of the post around InsurTech was, you know, hey, carriers, right? Let, let's sort of stop kind of treating uh, uh, insure tech startups as, you know, a place to sort of put some of your excess paper, right? And, hey, we'll just back the next MGA doing whatever. And let's start thinking about this more as, you know, these are the sort of outsourced R&D shops that you wish you had, right? At the carrier level. And so uh, it's a lot of benefits, right? It's off balance sheet, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, there, there has to be a process for, Uh, Carriers, I think, to to partner with these startups from a sort of significantly earlier stage. You know, I think about our company uh, Evolution IQ, for example, which uh, very much at that intersection of, you know, enterprise software for large carriers. Uh, For those that don't know, Evolution IQ is a sort of very advanced kind of AI machine learning platform for large carriers, specifically in the short and long term disability and workers comp uh, spaces. And what they're focused on is using this AI to identify those claims that have the most likelihood of sort of ballooning into, for example, a lawsuit or into this kind of very long tail of years of of losses. And so they're able to sort of proactively identify, hey, this is the sort of next best uh, uh, sort of action to take in this specific case for the kind of case, uh, the return to work process for for those carriers. And you know, one one of the things that is really interesting about Evolution IQ as investors, right? You know companies are always pitching us this kind of mythical land and expand. And, and that's great. We love land and expand. But oftentimes it's it's really just an excuse for you know that the kind of initial contract values not being uh, uh, worth the squeeze on a sales cycle, for example. And no, no, it's gonna be land and expand. But you know, evolution IQ has has really done it to a to an extent that I've I've never seen before. You know, some, I won't kind of give two specific numbers, but you know, well in excess of kind of 10x sort of within the first 18 to 24 months inside of a carrier where they're sort of able to launch additional businesses and additional products. Uh, And then even backwards looking for some of those carriers, you know, this is a, a sort of proven 10x ROI, not a kind of estimated, but a proven 10x ROI, even on what those carriers are spending. And yet it still is a sort of 12, 13, 14 month plus sales cycle with these carriers, right? And so uh, uh, it's, it's sort of as close to a no brainer as you can get in kind of enterprise software for, for the insurance industry. And it continues to be a sort of huge slog to sell to these folks. And, and that's never going to sort of fully change, but, um, there, there are so many sort of, I think promising, uh, fintech and insure tech startups that have kind of died on this hill of, you know, Oh, like, you know, uh, uh, Bank of America is really interested in buying our product. And like, you know, they, they, they keep wanting to do meetings every, every two to three weeks and it's great. And we're about to, and like, that is still an 18 month process. And, and then you, it's kind of not really conducive for the sort of startup uh, uh, numbers, right? The sort of math and, and startup math. And so um, there, has gotta be some way that carriers can do that. You know, some carriers have done a great job of spinning up, for example, venture arms to invest in those companies and then become advocates of those companies internally and sort of move the needle a little bit faster. And we're, uh, uh you know, uh, kind of thrilled to be partnered with lots of those different types of, of, uh, venture carrier, you know, carrier venture arms, uh, across the portfolio. But, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to see a little bit more. And, and I think, you know, carriers are, are starting to kind of realize that, that this is coming right. Um, you know there's there's the sense of uh you know nobody gets fired for buying ibm right um, in insurance i think nobody has to date no to date no nobody has gotten fired for not you know kind of turning the whole organization over to ai and and if anything lots of people have gotten fired for trying to do that kind of quickly um, i think you know hopefully we're at an inflection point here where that's going to change in a big way and all of a sudden you know, I think about uh, Bloomberg GPT, for example, right? Nobody got fired for not building facts GPT, but maybe now somebody will get fired for not building FactSet GPT. And so they're going to feel that sense of urgency. And I-, I hope it's the same in the insurance industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that anecdotally. I mean, I always think that um, we're a good bellwether when we work in the kind of recruitment industry to say like what, what's actually transactionally happening because it's like the investment has to come and then the people need to deliver that obviously less people hopefully when we're talking about technology driven things per per project but they are there so you know just anecdotally we've we've been filling out these innovation teams quite recently and most of their role is actually shepherding and shepherding in new ideas new technology and then championing them and driving them to actually something they move so we're moving that 12 to 14 month sales cycle to something like a six to an eight month sales cycle because you know um you know again going back to the conversation i had with brian um, on the podcast previously these really good ideas are dying because they 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 cannot get to the next round because they cannot get these deals over the line and 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 if the industry's not going to invest in r&d and and the numbers are pretty i, I looked at the numbers your, it's pretty it's pretty solid between seven and nine people nine uh, insurers represented in that top two and a half thousand um or 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 twenty-five thousand what it does two and a half thousand um uh r&d spends it's like that for 10 years it never shifts it never goes down it's between like seven and nine um if they're not going to spend the money then they need to utilize these 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 startups and and bring them on board quicker and faster and better and 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 the ones that are going to succeed in the future appear to be the ones that are embracing that um 100 yeah there, there was this interesting uh for folks kind of listening, there was an
1: interesting article uh, literally just yesterday in the Wall Street Journal and, it, and it's titled technology was supposed to transform insurance pricing, but it hasn't. Right. And so, yeah, cool uh, up, yeah. you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, people talk about these kind of 900 pound gorillas in the industry and all that kind of stuff, but you know, the, the fundamental uh, insight of, you know, why has, for example, Root and Metro Mile and sort of, you know, Hippo and all these guys sort of struggled dramatically is because, you know, it turns out that there's not a lot of need to sort of revolutionize pricing in, consumer standard auto right sort of Alex uh, you know I won't guess your age but you know we'll say he's got a beard he's uh, bald and he lives in London and you know he drives this kind of car I mean you know progressive knows exactly how often you're going to crash that thing and so the only way that some of these digital guys have competed is you know first of all on 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 digital acquisition which is which is not sustainable in the long term and we obviously seen that play out and then, you know, it's this kind of death spiral of, of competing on price, <laughs> you know, I mean, Lemonade in their S1 said it very clearly, right? You know, we will never be profitable under the current uh, iteration uh, of the business, you know, and it, and it turns out now, obviously, in the public markets, uh, profitability is not for losers anymore. So they've kind of struggled dramatically. That's yeah. one of the areas that we focus on quite a bit. You know, we, we, I get this question once a week, and I think we've talked about this before, you know, oh, you're not still doing insure tech investing, are you? And it's like, no, of course we are, <laughs> duh, Right. And and then the second question I get, well, okay, fine, you're you're doing insuretech SaaS, but you're not doing MGAs, God forbid, are you? And it's like, of course we are, right? I mean, it's it's, but but it's about sort of picking and choosing the right areas. And so for us specifically on the producing side, it's all about next generation risks that require that kind of next generation AI, ML, data underwriting. And so turns out it's not consumer standard auto, you know, it's not renters, it's not kind of standard home necessarily, but it is things like, for example, cyber insurance, which we've talked about crypto insurance, which you talked about, um, even sort of specific niches within kind of es- established uh, existing spaces. So uh, workers' comp, for example, going back, you know, I mean, however many decades, uh, you know, we were investors in a company called Insurate, which is uh, specifically very narrowly focused on kind of heavy industry, sort of high risk uh, uh, businesses that, you know, the kind of traditional carriers or the state carriers will just kind of price in the high risk bucket and, and, and kind of crush them. And we're able to sort of cherry pick that risk using a ton of alternative data that's kind of proprietary to the model to find out, hey, you know, this this sort of, you know, industrial factory is very different from this other one, right? And so actually cherry pick that risk and be able to actually significantly uh, uh, compete on price as well. You know, it's things like uh, embedded insurance, for example, right? And so uh, using kind of AI, uh, you know, embedded insurance has existed, I think, for for quite a while now. Uh, I think most people's mental idea of embedded insurance is like, you know, the sort of AA American airlines.com checkout page, the Allianz button that they try to scare you into buying it. God knows I'm never (laughs) buying that crap. Cause I mean, everybody has this sense of it's it's like a home warranty, right? Everybody has a sense of, you know, no matter what happens to me, I'm sure they're not going to pay. There's going to be some exception in the fine print. That means that they're not going to pay. And so it's, I mean, it's a crap product because it's, it's uh, a completely static, the only thing that changes functionally is the price, a million and one exceptions, you're sort of pretty convinced that it's never going to pay out or you forget you have it or, or whatever it is. You know, now we live in a world where sort of uh, policies can actually be delivered, you know, kind of in some ways dynamically, right? And so, um, you know, splicing and dicing different pieces of that policy, uh, you know, we've got a, a portfolio company named Pattern Insurance, which is you know enabling kind of online, you know, travel and recreation and 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 events companies to sell embedded insurance. But it's sort of very much customizable uh, a product, and and you know, I think the future iteration of the product is going to be you know not just sort of customizable to what the the sort of human behind the screen thinks, for example, the event organizer, but really kind of black box letting the robots decide, like. Hey, you know, for whatever reason, because of all the data points that we've gathered on Alex and the event and the weather and the time and this, that, and the other, we think this specific combination of the policy is going to be the best. And so, you know, to, to give an example, right. Uh, You know, a trip to Miami, let's say, right. And you're going for seven days. Uh, You know, maybe V1 of that embedded product says, you know, Hey, if uh, it rains, you know, four out of the seven days, like we'll pay you some amount of money. We'll reimburse you because, you know, Hey, that was a bad trip. And so maybe you want that sort of peace of mind. Cause it's your sort of beach holiday. Yeah. Uh, you know, the sort of V2 and V3 of that is actually the, the robot is, is going to, you know, on some kind of Pareto curve, uh, some, some like frontier of equally profitable combinations of policies Pick the one that you're most likely to buy, right? And so, you know, maybe maybe it's it's the same profitability to sell you a you know four day rain policy at X price versus a two day rain plus two day cloud plus two day you know a uh, uh, barometric pressure below something for another price, or maybe it's it's you know some infinite combination of these outcomes, but you know, that last one that I, that I gave you, like, you're never going to buy that because you don't even know what I'm talking about, right? How how do I conceptually think about two days of barometric pressure versus two days of clouds versus two days of rain? And so they're going to be able to identify in a sort of very black box, human hands-off way, what is the thing that's going to make Alex most likely to click? And so maybe it's, you know, hey, two days of rain and, you know, two days of of clouds, let's say. And so that's, you know, something that, for example, uh, a pattern is working on, um, you know, a a company called Seal, which is doing a, a sort of, uh, returns kind of dynamic returns assurance policies and so able to very specifically identify sort of at the SKU level and at the sort of individual consumer level what their uh, likelihood of for example returning something is or, or actually getting into some parametric insurance as well like you know hey if Alex uh, if, if this package arrives after next Wednesday we'll just pay you ten dollars as a credit right that's kind of a you know if then type of thing and so um, th- that's a lot of the focus there
0: yeah, and I think the embedded solutions is is fascinating because it's. I think about my own buying behavior and exactly what you're saying. It's like, if I see someone tries to tell me travel when I'm buying a trip, I'm not buying it because I know it's not going to be great. Um, and even if it is, I don't trust it. Um, and it's also not, it's presented very much as, it's not. It's not something they do, you know. It's. It's like when people buy watches that are not made by watchmakers. I have a sort of aversion to that. Um, but, but the 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 point I wanted to get onto was that now we have the tools to not only sell me bespoke insurance policies that are relevant to me. Um, and it was. I was really smiling when you were talking about holidays because I'm thinking I w- I've been this year. I've been to Athens and it snowed. I've been. To, I went to <laughs> Tel Aviv on holiday and it rained. And I've just come back from Qatar and it rains about eight days a year in Qatar. It was raining then uh, as well. So I, I need this insurance in <laughs> my life. Um, but the uh, th- it also allows them to kind of personalise as a brand, but also to me in a language I understand. So you can sell me that with some marketing at the point of purchase that is relevant to me. You can put it in a, you know, I love marketing and I, I, I did my degree, basically a marketing degree. And it's like the personalization of that also comes with selling it in a personalised way because we have got the tools to say, right this is the personalized product this is why these are the marketing touch points and that can all be done at the touch of a button so my experience and yours will be completely different and it sells to me in a way that it says Alex do you want to I don't know do you want to sit on the terrace and drink those sunshine beers well if that ever gets spoiled for you here's the cover you know I don't know like like I think that's the next step for me because people still don't want to buy insurance they don't want to buy it it's a it's a thing it's a it's a thing that you feel you have to because you're mandated by law or you feel you have to to protect your to an asset or something but really it's not this kind of enjoyable experience and i, and I don't think it needs to be that way and i think the, the thing that you know we love to beat up on some of the big insure techs but some of what they've done well is kind of make it a bit more fun um right you know we've got dead happy in the uk the life insurance business they seem to have done well by making it kind of seemingly quite fun and some funny efforts they did push it horrifically too far, but we won't talk about that. We've talked about that before. Um, but I think trying to make it personalised is, is super interesting. Um, you touched on valuations, and I wanted to go back to that point, because you and I had a really good conversation about valuations before. What's changed in the last 12 months? Because valuations have obviously dramatically changed. Um, how do you... How are we valuing InsureTechs now? Um, and and what, within the current process, do you think we kind of need to address... Um, maybe it's industry because you need consensus right to build business valuations. That's the problem is is the consensus has gone out of the window.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Um, You know, this is uh, sort of relates to the kind of second post that maybe we'll, we'll distribute as well, which we came out with in March and, and it was sort of more kind of FinTech broadly, but I think it's especially applicable in and around InsureTech and the sort of central conceit there was, you know, a lot of the pain that we're seeing in and around FinTech and sure tech, all this kind of stuff uh, now, and, and, and frankly, more pain to come going forward, uh, is because of this sort of plethora, I mean, this real uh, uh, tsunami of kind of tourists, what we call tourists. And, and by the way, I'll, I'll sort of ruffle some feathers here. It, it was investors and founders alike. So it's, I'm not just kind of crapping on investors here. The the sort of you know types of folks that kind of were just chasing the you know fintech was was the kind of hottest thing since sliced bread you know for for a year to you know two to three to four years there, and there was this sort of kind of tourist mentality of you know hey you know if it's fintech it equals sort of you know some ARR multiple and we're going to trade at you know fifteen times uh, ARR and and obviously some of them got done at hundreds of times of ARR, and you know really the the sort of first thing to, to notice uh, is that, you know, th- there's no such thing as, as fintech, right? I mean, it's this it's not this monolith. Fintech and, and insurtech all sort of lump, lump those together. It really is this sort of matrix of, you know, probably, let's say, 30 different sort of subsectors on the kind of x-axis and maybe 12 to 15 different kind of fundamentally different business models on the sort of y-axis. And so, you know, multiply, you know, whatever that is. And I mean, you're looking at hundreds of sort of possible permutations of different types of businesses that we all kind of lump mentally together into FinTech. And so that was kind of problem number one. I think insurtech especially suffered from this where you've got not only FinTech tourists, but like FinTech and insurtech tourists, where, you know, a lot of the sort of big kind of consumer InsureTechs, I think a lot of their investors came in and, and just mentally said, you know, this is uh, uh consumer FinTech. And so growth is good. And it's all about the CAC and the growth number, and that's it. And, you know, it turns out that uh, actually insurance is quite a complex business. Um, you know, I, I always use the analogy, I think, especially for tourists that, you know, I think a lot of people have a uh, innate aversion to something like lending, for example. And, and lending is very scary, I think, as humans, because you're taking my pile of money here and I'm and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it away. And like, I'm crossing my fingers and I hope and pray that one day it comes back. And and so people, I think, innately understand that that is risky. That's scary. Um, I always think about insurance, let's say a, a carrier. It's exactly the same thing, just in reverse, right? And so I'm getting in money today, and then I'm hoping and praying that it doesn't go out in the future, right? When there's a hurricane or a fire or whatever it is. I think mentally people don't kind of connect those two. And so, you know, whereas lots of people said, oh, lending bad, I don't want to do that. Lots of people said, you know, insurance good, right? And and it's all about the growth and it's all about the the top line rather than, you know, things like uh, a loss ratio and combined ratio. I'll I'll, I'll actually get to your question about sort of how companies are being valued, but I always like to share this. I I won't sort of embarrass anybody uh, and I won't sort of mention any company names, but uh, when I was at at General Atlantic uh, about two years ago, we were looking uh, at a sort of very large uh, insurance company that was, uh, well, I, I won't say what they do because that, that would probably give it away, but it was sort of considering a SPAC. And so they, they were doing a pre IPO round and, you know, lots of big numbers getting thrown around. And, you know, in one of our kind of diligence calls, we were, uh, uh speaking to the kind of, uh, uh, the sort of chief underwriting officer and the CEO was on. And, uh, I had some throwaway question like, Oh, you know, this number for last quarter, you know, in Florida homeowners, let's say, uh, d- does that include IBNR, right? Incurred but not reported. And the chief underwriter's jaw dropped. I mean, I can't even make this up. The guy's jaw dropped. And he said, We have raised over 10 years of this company's life cycle, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars from, I mean, dozens of like brand name referenceable investors. And not a single one of them knows what IBNR is, much less has ever asked me about it. And I, I mean then my job dropped right because I, it's, it's not like I'm some insurance genius either I mean I, I, I you know I hopefully know enough to be dangerous but I mean I, I couldn't believe that that sort of folks were handing out sort of tens and hundreds of millions of dollars not even sort of understand it's 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 like you don't know what uh what net revenue retention is and you're trying to invest in software companies right and so that's the kind of world that we're living in um, you know, today we're obviously living in a very, very different world and, you know, work, we continue to be sort of very active in and around insurance, you know, MGA software, uh, neo carriers, and things like that. You know, the, 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 the key though, is just, you know, everybody going in eyes wide open that, you know, it sort sort of, sort of it, it's almost like the, there's no bad premium. There's only there's no bad risk. There's only bad premium. It's like, there's no bad entry multiples. There's only bad like exit multiples. Right. And what I mean by that is you have to know what that exit multiple is going to be, how a certain business is going to be valued by the public markets. And, and that means that sort of no matter how you get in at the beginning, like if you sort of go eyes wide open in with the end number, then nobody's going to be kind of surprised to the downside. And so, you know, insurance, MJ carriers at, at acquisition, right? Uh, MJs and carriers, you know, these things, high growth are probably trading in the sort of low, uh, uh, you know, single digits kind of multiple of, of, of GWP. Whereas, you know, in the last few years, lots of folks were valuing them, you know, I mean, one, you, you hope a lot of these investors knew that it was GWP and not revenue, because that actually is not even guaranteed, I think, unfortunately. Uh, but two, you know, they're valuing them on sort of, you know, tens of times uh, a GWP and, you know, t- dozens and, you know, even hundreds of times revenue. And and that's all going to kind of unwind. And so, you know, today, I, I can sort of share what we're seeing broadly speaking in the in the sort of market in, in fintech. And I think insurtech is, is broadly speaking the same, which is, at the kind of early stage you know pre-seed type of companies are anywhere from kind of 8 to 10 to 12 type of valuations kind of true inception stage companies uh you know more kind of a seed where there's sort of hopefully something of a functioning product we're starting to at least see towards some amount of revenue but you know if not kind of have it already that's more in the sort of you know 10 to 20 to maybe 25 sort of on the high end and then you know series a's and and beyond are uh, frankly not really happening that much and so um you know we've certainly seen a lot of pullback in insurance i mean we've seen pullback in fintech broadly but now's the time to do it right it's uh, uh you know buffett's greedy fearful fearful greedy um you know the academic piece of the of, of the puzzle will tell you uh you know you uh uh you know 2001 2009 hopefully 23 24 are these kind of outperforming vintages because of lower competition and lower entry prices uh, it takes two things to do that as an investor, I think, to lean into those. One is is the capital. And we're very fortunate to have amazing LPs who who kind of have continued to provide for that. Uh, and two is is uh, you kind of got to have the the courage and the guts to lean in. And, you know, that that piece is uh, uh, kind of what we're, we're always searching for, I think, uh, eternally as investors. But uh, that's what we're excited about going forward in this year, right? Is actually, no, like now is not the time to lean out of insurance and insurance tech. Now's the time to actually lean in. So that's what we're going to plan
0: to do. Yeah it's that tough times becomes better businesses as well. You know, there's always been that um, evaluation of themselves. So, so right. just lovely way to kind of segue into into probably what's my last question is, is really just to kind of, you know, what's, what's coming up for you for the rest of this year? What are you excited about? Uh, is there, is there any, I know we touched on crypto and embedded and, and I know you've got portfolios in the space, but is there a bit of a gap um, for you in the offering of Insurtex that you're on the lookout for. And I've told you before I'm obsessed with claims technology businesses, <laughs> but yeah, I know evolution IQ plays a lot in that space and they're a business that, that we're aware of. But um yeah, are there any kind of particular themes of and, and niches that you're looking for?
1: Yeah, uh, you know absolutely and again we're we're sort of you know very much leaning into this environment. You know, I'd say kind of broadly speaking, uh you know anything kind of in and around insurance uh and insure tech, whether it's producing kind of MJs and carriers, where it's on the software piece. Uh, whether it's sort of the the kind of true sort of AI enhanced vertical SaaS, you know, we we didn't talk about but some of our kind of agent and broker enablement businesses like Agentero and iLife are sort of using a lot of AI there as well. You know, very excited about that and and all those spaces. I I think broadly speaking, kind of anybody who is building or or actually considering building, uh, you know, in InsureTech at that early stage, you know, we'd always love to chat. And uh, for us, we, we um, you know, especially interested in engaging with founders kind of really at the outset of their entrepreneurial journeys, we're uh, oftentimes actually speaking with folks even before they left their current companies, right? And so obviously we know, uh, we know discretion and, uh, and, and we're always excited to sort of meet folks as, as early as we can. And, um, you know, especially, uh, again, sort of I'd say that the sort of four big areas uh, maybe three big areas kind of you know next gen underwriting for next gen risks at the kind of MGA side so that's cyber crypto uh, workers comp, uh, like commercial auto or informatic as well, uh, certain e-commerce types. And, and, you know, there's a whole world of like AI model drift insurance that we're looking at now, you know, when, when the, when the, when the lawnmower, you know, autonomous lawnmower kills somebody like whose fault is that? Like all that type of AI risk we're, we're especially excited about, you know, there's the embedded insurance kind of 2.0, like we call it. And so that's a big area of focus for us as well. And then the kind of, you know, vertical SaaS and, and sort of software for insurance. Um, so anybody who's building in and around that space or considering would would love to chat. At a personal level, uh, you know, we—I uh, I kind of can't say too much, but uh, you know, hopefully, going to announce some good news here on our next fund uh, in, in in the sort of uh, relatively near near future. Um, and then, I personally uh, kind of am always on the conference circuit for InsurTech. Uh, I'm speaking at a couple panels at InsurTech insights uh, US here in a couple weeks. I'm not even sure if this will be out by then. Uh, and then, obviously, in, in the fall, uh, you know, ITC Vegas and, and others. And so, always happy to, to meet different folks. Um, and then the sort of final pitch for Foundation is, you know, we've got folks here in New York uh, on the West Coast, but we invest U.S., LATAM, which actually we didn't chat about, but uh, maybe we can link to the sort of LATAM, uh, a quick podcast. So we invest U.S., LATAM, uh, Europe, and Israel. And so always happy to, to chat to folks. And we're always traveling quite a bit and, and, and always great to meet folks on the road as well. So uh, thanks so much for having me, Alex.
0: Not at all, Nico. Kevin. I will see you at almost all of those conferences because that's, uh, that's, that's <laughs> no that's no No, no rest. No, yeah, rest,
1: remember t- to get that, uh, get that uh, customizable travel insurance there uh, yeah. from, from I pattern uh, in case it rains, want, rains here in New York.
0: <laughs> I want a couple of panels on both of them, I think as well. So um, no, I, I look forward to meeting you ag- again, face to face. You've been really generous with your time as ever. And I think we could do this all day, but um, um, thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Nico.
1: Thanks, Alex.